Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Thank you. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm just uh, going to read a scripture. Uh, the scripture reading this morning is from the book of Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke up, he did what the, Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Wonderful. Well, we are a chatty bunch. It's a good thing that we only have three minutes on the clock because uh, it's, it's good that there's conversation and excitement in the room. Uh, you'll have noticed that we had our second candle lit, and this is our, our second Sunday of, of Advent, marking peace. And John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Now, Christmas is the arrival of Jesus, and with him marks the arrival of peace. St. Francis of Assisi, he says, Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, only joy. So my hope for you as we continue this journey through the Advent season and here on the second Sunday of Advent, that you would posture your heart in such a way that you could be part of the peace that Christ brings into the world. And even opening up your mind to what that might look like here today. But if this is your first time here at City Collective, uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of being lead pastor here. And every week we, we like to say that wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, it's the middle of Christmas and you're just more focused on Santa than Jesus, that's perfectly okay. Um, this is a good space to be in. Uh, we hope that you feel safe and comfortable and at rest here. Uh, this is, like I said, the second Sunday of Advent, and we are venturing through the Christmas story by 
going through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And Advent, which, which means arrival, is, is a wide range of experience and emotion. It's excitement, it's confusion, it's, it's confrontation, it's waiting, it's conflict. All of these things simultaneously taking place in this moment of arrival during this Christmas season. Last week, we, we talked about the genealogy of promise that's given to us. And, and if you want to follow along, you can find it on, on YouTube or on our podcast. But we were looking at the genealogy of promise in the first 17 verses of Matthew. And this week, we continue forward. And in the reading, I hope you heard it today, uh, Christmas has a pretty scandalous beginning to it. All those elements that I talked about in regards to what Advent kind of brings, I think it's best seen through the eyes of the characters in the stories. It's through the experiences of you and I that we most experience the idea of confusion and conflict. It's more than a theoretical idea. It's something that we viscerally experience. And this is the same for those in this Christmas story. Here is the big idea that I want to explore this morning. Joseph, the primary, primary character of this passage that we're looking at, he shows us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And this can be a little ironic because obviously he's the father, adoptive father of Jesus. But this is what I want to explore this morning. Because Joseph, he shows us how the revelation of Christmas shapes our response to pain and unfairness in life. I went to a really small high school uh, for my grade 12 year, and I remember in the final year, they made a school-wide decision that they were going to put on a stirring rendition of Cinderella. Now, I would not, never claim to be a drama kid, not out of disdain for the term or the title, but because I don't think I live up to it. Uh, I was just one of only a few guys in the school that was probably old enough to participate in some of the roles. And even with that being the case, I did not get a particularly uh, prominent role at, at first glance. Uh, they, they gave me the role of helper number one. Super glamorous. Yeah, put, put, it, put it on my resume. Helper number one for Cinderella at my grade 12 play. Yeah, not, not maybe what I was expecting or hoping for. But it's not that I was or am a particularly good actor. But helper number one was the role. And I, I, I proposed, like, hey, let's give me a name to it. I really want to sink my teeth into this role. It can be something a little exotic. I can really lean into the character. It can go really well. Needless to say, I stayed being called helper number one. Uh, and it's interesting, I noticed that as, the, as time went, helper number one actually had more to do in the story than I first expected. It was more than just a simple cameo, I had a little more responsibility. And, and funny enough, I think that this is kind of what we see in the story of Joseph, because Joseph is this seemingly bit player, he gets this early cameo in the Christmas production, and to be honest, he's pretty easy to forget. Mary, the mother of Jesus, rightfully so, gets a lot of spotlight. And I say rightfully so because now more than ever, I have appreciation for mothers and, and what they are forced to do to bring amazing new life into this world. Mary? Yeah, 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 I get that. But some of the other ones, they, they, they get a lot of spotlight as well. There's, there's songs about shepherds, songs about wise men. Uh, there's, there's stories and, and pictures and, and paintings and 
it's almost glorified in all these other characters of the story, but there's no song about Joseph, did you know? There's, there, there's, no, there's no specific carol that comes to mind. There probably is one out there, but not one in our popular cultural uh, view that tells us about the story of Joseph. But yet, I would say Joseph, in his early cameo, presents us something incredibly profound that is meaningful for us here today. So I want to dive into that a little bit. We mentioned it last week, that in the final sequence of the genealogy, a genealogy talks about the father of someone, and the father of someone, and the father of someone. And once it gets to the final father right before Jesus, it doesn't say that Joseph is the father of Jesus. It says Joseph is the husband of, of Mary. Kind of reaffirms our, our, our bit player perspective. And even by the time that Jesus begins his public ministry, there seems to be an assumption that Joseph is no longer uh, alive. When we get to the cross, I don't know if you remember this story, but Jesus is on the cross and he looks out and he sees John, the beloved disciple, and he says to John, would you care for my mother? It would seem that Joseph is no longer around. And, and to top it all off, if we're talking about Christmas productions, he doesn't even get a line. He doesn't even have... Uh, a line in this Christmas production. Yet, despite his lack of prominence, seemingly lack of longevity, and, and lack of actual words spoken, this forgotten man of Christmas illustrates what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. His actions do the talking in the midst of a shattering moment that many of us are familiar with. Have you ever experienced a moment where you felt incredibly betrayed? A moment where your hopes were high, your plans were moving forward, and you are blindsided to the point where you have to reconsider everything. This is the shattering moment that Joseph finds himself in. Now, as we look at the passage this morning, I want, I want to note something in particular that's going to help us understand what, um, what we're trying to talk about. See, we're, we're told that Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph. And some, transla some translations say engaged, others say betrothed, but it goes on to say that Joseph found that Mary was pregnant and he planned to quietly divorce her. Now, if we're reading this text carefully and, and not just letting the words float by us, you'll notice that the sequence seems a little bit off. Because in our Western culture, the ending of an engagement doesn't equate to divorce. You just don't get married. But things were different in the first century. Marriage in the first century involved three steps. The first step was engagement. And it was a formal ceremony where the different parties, primarily led by the families, came together and they agreed that there was going to be a pairing. The man and the woman, they promised themselves to one another. And interestingly enough, there was matchmaking that took place at the time. So in the first century, there was a Sema ante going around making all the connections for those who have been watching Indian matchmaking on Netflix. The second step in, in marriage was, was betrothal, and this is where we actually find Mary and Joseph. Betrothal was actually a legally binding part of this process. Once the match was made 
and they had reached the appropriate age. Mary was probably around the age of 14 at the time, and they agreed to be married. They would then go through a process in which they would live apart for the period of about one year in preparation for the wedding. The the woman and the man, they have a chance and they have a choice to call off the marriage before the betrothal is legally bound. But once it is entered into, once the betrothal is official, if they were to enter into a relationship with someone else, it was considered adultery. So legally, at this point, they are considered husband and wife. And then the third stage, the wedding takes place, and when the whole village gathers together, they celebrate, and they have a huge party, and they've committed a whole year in preparation for this. And then finally, with the night ending, they go to what's called the seclusion room, and everybody waits outside for them to consummate the marriage. Thank goodness that wasn't the tradition that my family followed. So that was, that was the three steps of, of marriage within the first century. So all this to say, this is why the betrothal actually required divorce for Joseph. And this practice was in place for, for a variety of reasons, but specifically for our story, it was in place to prevent families from marrying off daughters who had become pregnant but weren't showing yet. There was a system in place to catch what some would have believed Mary was actually trying to do. So I say all this because I want you to understand the situation that Joseph found himself to be in. There there wasn't this feeling of, of, oh, well, at least I dodged that bullet or this like Hollywood rom-com feel of, oh, I'm going to just break off the engagement and then I can go find my true love. This wasn't the, the experience that Joseph was having. We need to understand and step into this first century perspective to really have a clear idea of what's taking place. Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. He's stunned. He's deeply hurt. How could Mary do this? The only logical explanation is that she had not been faithful to her betrothal vow. She had cheated on him and slept with another man, and she had committed adultery. This is the sequence of events and thoughts that would have gone through his mind at this moment. It would have seemed like the system had worked the way he wanted it to. It was designed to catch this, and all the facts pointed to it. And Joseph now has the option to actually take Mary to the gates of the city to try her publicly and to receive a public annulment. The benefit of him doing that is that he would be clear of all wrongdoing and there would be no blame directed his way. So this is our our main character. Brokenhearted, embarrassed, probably angry, and in many ways, rightfully so, and the legal side of things was very much on his side. This was a big deal. And this is what makes Joseph's response so fascinating. Because have you ever been there? Feeling betrayed, mistreated, rejected, embarrassed. What has been your response? I know for myself, my heart's desire has far too often been revenge. For them to get what they deserve. I hope that justice comes their way. I hope that they're never happy again. This is the narrative that comes out of our flesh. 
out of our humanity. And for many that would maybe hear this be the response, there, there wouldn't be a lot of pushback. You've been wronged. So your response is justified. But here's what's incredible. The scriptures say that Joseph was faithful to the law, but as some translations put it, he was a righteous man. He was a right relationship kind of guy, and he wanted to quietly divorce Mary. And instead of exposing her to public disgrace, he had in mind to do it quietly. And so he would have involved family, there would have been two people that would have been required to come and sign a divorce certificate. And the really curious element of this decision is by doing this, he was suddenly exposing himself to public scrutiny and shame. He wasn't going to be public about the divorce, but that doesn't mean the public shame was going to go away. There are three things that I want us to take from the person of Joseph and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And the first thing is being in the right doesn't mean doing something that is wrong. Being in the right doesn't mean doing something that is wrong. It doesn't allow us to do something that is wrong. So when the angel comes to Joseph, I think it's the angel Gabriel, the same one that visited Mary, but visits Joseph in a dream, and he tells Joseph that something wonderful has taken place in Mary's womb. We need to see that God did not leave Joseph alone in his anguish over what to do. God came to Joseph as he does for each of us. And God communicated with Joseph as he does for each and every person who seeks to be righteous, to be in right relationship. And here's the thing, pursuing right relationship Pursuing righteousness doesn't stop when we feel wronged by the other side. And Joseph shows us this. He was a righteous man that did not stop being a righteous man when he felt like the other side had wronged him. Now, I know that there are unfair and cruel moments that we encounter. I'm not advocating for staying in toxic or poisonous relationships that are detrimental to our, our mental and our physical health. But there is a posture that we are invited to hold as followers of Jesus that desires to be conduits of healing and reconciliation in the world. It's a posture that leans into the comfort and the power of the Holy Spirit to embolden us in the spaces where we are past the point of doing things by our own strength. When we feel wronged, I don't know about you, but when I feel wronged, I, if I don't want to be thinking about anything that would make their life better. That's not my first response. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the, po the power of the Holy Spirit to give me the comfort and grace to respond in such a way that's reflective of Jesus. Joseph chooses to protect the one who had seemed to have hurt him. Is that your response? I think it's ironic how the 
righteousness of Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, sets the platform for the righteousness of Christ. Because look at it, betrayed, mistreated, rejected. This is what it seemed to be the situation for Joseph, but it became the reality for Jesus. Betrayed, mistreated, rejected. Jesus chose to continue to treat all of humanity with his goodness and his kindness and his grace despite the way that he was treated. He chose to protect all those who had seemed to have hurt him so that he could bring us back into right relationship with God because righteousness does not stop being our pursuit when we have been wronged. Righteousness chooses to think of caring for others even when we believe that they don't do so for us. Have boundaries. Have wisdom. Have mentors and people that you talk these moments through. But to be like Christ is to live generously. And generosity does not require reciprocation. Being in the right doesn't allow you to do something that's wrong. Being in the right is rather an invitation to pursue right relationship. So even from this first thought, my my challenge for you this Christmas season, we've all got somebody somewhere that we are like, I do not want to spend Christmas with them. (laughs) I hope that their car breaks down on the way to Christmas dinner because my turkey is going to be so much sweeter. I said it, you thought it. We've got, we've got issues with people. We've got these moments of hurt that we've carried and, and interactions that we haven't let go of that continue to haunt us and burden us. And, and you might be in the right, but it doesn't allow you to do something that's wrong. It is actually an invitation to pursue right relationship. When you are a follower of Christ, this is the invitation. Number two, shame is to always be confronted. Joseph is at a crossroads, and I find his response incredibly humbling because he chose the route that involved carrying the burden of shame that was guaranteed to come. One of the most crippling emotions that we experience as human beings is the shame that we receive from the communities that we're in. I'm not even talking about the shame that we are often unkind to ourselves with. But the communities that we're in, we, we, dis, we receive shame because of, of mistakes that were made or gossip that went around or words that were spoken. And Joseph made a choice that that shame that was going to come Mary's way no matter what was not a shame that she was going to bear alone. Whether one believes that shame is justified or not, we are presented with the truth that the pursuit of righteousness confronts shame. Think of the story of Jesus. 
And think of the way that Jesus taught us. We've talked at length over the last months about the kingdom of God. And when we talk about right relationship and righteousness and what God wants to do in the world and what Jesus invites us into, when Jesus is pursuing right relationship with others, he is confronting shame so that shame and guilt would have no platform and no bearing on you. But here's the thing about shame. Shame doesn't just disappear when we decide it, when we want it to. It's still... it's still directed towards us. Joseph didn't, get, didn't just get to say, well, we're going to divorce quietly and nobody's going to have anything to say about it. There's not going to be any shame that comes from the community. No, there was going to be a direction of that shame, but instead of only Mary having to bear it, Joseph also chose to confront it. And this is the same response that happens through Jesus, that the shame that we receive in the different spaces that we're in every single day is not suddenly just gone, but it is born by a Savior that wants you to experience the freedom that comes from right relationship with Him. Joseph is, he's modeling what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a a beautiful picture of what's taking place. And and this is for all of us Canadians. Hear me because I fall in this category as well. Apathetic avoidance of the confrontation of shame is actually the means by which we perpetuate it. If you are avoiding talking about it, we are guilty of continuing it. If we don't name shame as something that is wrong in our communities, in our families, and in our friendships, either in word or action or both, then we are actually agreeing that this is something they should feel. And this is not the way of Jesus. For Joseph, the public opinion, the public disgrace, and shame was still present. But instead of being placed solely on Mary, Joseph had chosen to take it upon himself. And this is what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. Psalm 34, verses 4 to 5 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And this takes us to our third point. Messiness is an opportunity to enter into the work of the Spirit. Verse 20 of our passage reads like this. It says, But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Joseph is given the prompt that many of our characters will hear throughout the Christmas story. Do not be afraid. And the angel says, Do not be afraid, Joseph. Take Mary home as your wife. And even though... Joseph had been righteous. Joseph had done good things. He had moved his life in in an appropriate direction. He had modeled what it'd be to be a disciple of Jesus. He's still given this prompt that I am going to invite you into something greater, so don't be afraid. And this this is good for all of us here today. You might think that you have everything put together, that all of your relationships, you are pursuing the right thing. God has something better for you, and his invitation to you is don't be afraid. There's more to what is going on in your life. I have more for you. And not just in isolation, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Because that's the mystery of the Christmas season brought to life in this passage is that Joseph is told that Mary is with child by the power of the Holy Spirit and you are to give him the name Jesus. Yahweh saves. It says, take Mary as your wife, give the child the name Jesus, and to be told to name Mary's child is a technical way of saying adopt him. Joseph, you did not father this child, but you are to now take him into your heart as your own. You are to adopt him. And Joseph does, and at a great risk. The angel is saying, I see the challenges that are going to come your way when you try to do the right thing. But I want you to enter into the mess that you know is coming. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. The same power that was doing a work of beauty within Mary was going to be the same power offered to Joseph as he entered into her mess. The messiness didn't just disappear either. There are incidents throughout the Gospels where Jesus is slandered as being an an illegitimate child. And in a culture where everything rode on reputation and character, no wonder the angel had to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. You're actually invited into the scandalous story of Mary, just as God is entering into the scandalous story of humanity. The request of Joseph is the action of God. Here's the beautiful thing. The angel was not asking something of Joseph that God was not doing himself. Enter into the mess from with you. You feel lacking, my spirit is with you. You feel unqualified. I'm going to do something incredible through your life. Entering into the mess of others with the power of the Holy Spirit is to be a disciple of Jesus. William Barclay, he says, it is spirit who is God's agent in the creation of the world and it is spirit alone who can recreate. In Genesis chapter one, spirit is an indication of creation, of newness. It's the beginning of new beginnings that we see at the very beginning of the genealogy. Recreate the human soul when we've lost the life that we ought to have. This is what Jesus did coming down into the mess of humanity with a purpose to save us from sin, to restore us into right relationship with God and with others, and to defeat death itself. The revelation of Christmas is not simply that God came to be with us, is that God has come to save us. There has been a sanitization of the message of Christmas that we leave it at God with us. When in truth, the angel says he has come to save. It's not just to to be in proximity to, it's to be for you. To be with you in every moment, not just as a passive bystander, but as an 
active participant for you to experience the flourishing of life that his heart desires even more so than you do. The second Sunday of Advent speaks of peace, but what is peace if we don't enter into brokenness and messiness? Peace that sits on the sidelines, comfortable and disengaged, is often pridefulness and ignorance. But the Prince of Peace enters into the mess of the world, and the disciples of peace are called to be peacemakers entering into the messiness of the world. Worship team, can you join me at the front? Do you see the truths of being a disciple that are modeled by Joseph? Being right doesn't mean, doesn't allow you to be wrong or to be doing wrong. Shame is always confronted and messiness is an opportunity to enter into the work of of the Spirit. So the question for you this morning as we prepare ourselves to enter into communion is will you take that risk? The angel would not say, do not be afraid if there was not a risk involved. If there was not the possibility of discomfort or struggle. And that's the same calming invitation that you're given today. Do not be afraid. Will you take the risk? When Jesus enters into our lives, we cannot expect things to remain as they were. And to embrace Christmas, to truly follow Jesus, is to be open to our whole world being thrown upside down. You are a saved people. We need to live by it. And we need to live like it. With generosity. With compassion. With wisdom. And with the reflection of Christ, of truth and grace. Will you take that risk? Would you close your eyes with me as we pray? For some of you this morning, relationships, they need to be reconciled. So let's pray for you to be overwhelmed by the righteousness of God in your life. For others, shame needs to be confronted in your life. Let's pray for you to feel that burden lifted and for God to draw near. And for others in the room, you know that there's a mess that you need to step into and you're just asking for that burst of confidence, that burst of strength. I pray the Holy Spirit would give you exactly what your heart desires, that would place you in the messiness that you need to be in to be the conduit of change that Christ desires in the world. Heavenly Father, we offer all these things to you for every person and every burden, for every story being told in this place. Thank you that we get to be participants in the story that you are telling in the world around us. For shame that is present in this room, we pray that your spirit would confront it right now, that it has no place here, it has no foothold here, it has no no strength that we can't overcome by the power of the spirit. And we just thank you that you're doing a work within the hearts of each of us this morning, that shame wouldn't have that hold in Jesus' name. We thank you that you put us in the positions that we need to be to step into the messiness of of the world that we're in. And we just pray right now for a spirit of discernment in this room, that we would look around and have eyes to see and ears to hear the places that we need to step into so that we could experience the fullness of what your grace wants to do in the world. Give us the confidence, give us the strength, give us the boldness, and help us to say yes to that risk that is offered to us so that we can be more than just good people, but be people of the Spirit who begin to be shaped by you in the world that we're in. 
do something fresh in us. Do something new. Just as this Christmas story invites the newness, the beginning of new beginnings, let that be the story in our hearts today. For those who feel disqualified and unable to come before you, I pray that they experience deep peace. And they see the open arms of, the, of a good father welcoming them home. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts already this morning. May it be a seed that begins to grow. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? So it's a little bit of a, a longer service for us this morning because we get to have the privilege of taking part in a baptism. Uh, two, in fact, and before we do that, one of the things that we decided as, as a team, as a staff, is that we wanted to participate in communion as a church before we stepped into those waters of baptism. That this would be a response of the church to remember, to reflect, to receive, and to rejoice. This is what is taking place. So I'm going to invite uh, our team on either side to, to bring the communion elements. Our worship team is going to lead us in song. And then as the song is going, I would invite you to come to the front as you, as you feel ready and receive. Jesus in the upper room, he, he took the bread and he broke it and he ate it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. And with the cup, he drank of it. He said, this is my, my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Posture your hearts. Ask the questions that need to be asked. And then come to the front and receive. There is goodness waiting for you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.